Proverbs chapter 23, beginning in verse 12. Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart will rejoice. Indeed, I myself. Yes, my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak right things. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. For surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. Hear, my son, and be wise, and guide your heart in the way. Do not mix with wine-bibbers or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her who bore you rejoice. My son, give me your heart, and let your eyes observe my ways. For a harlot is a deep pit, and a seductress is a narrow well. She also lies in wait as for a victim, and increases the unfaithful among men. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies at the top of the mass saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the preeminence of it. So grateful that we have it to turn to anytime we have need. We thank you that it doesn't change. We're so grateful that you don't change. That you're always the amazing God that we love and serve all the time. We pray, Lord, that you would... Help us to receive everything you have for us this morning. Quite apart from anything that I say, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us and that you would help us to not just be hearers of your word, but aim to be doers of your word. We pray that obedience would mark our lives. Lord, we're not interested in being religious. We're interested in knowing you, following you, and then being used by you. We pray that you would use our family here increasingly for your purposes, that we would be set apart for your holy use, that you would do far greater than we could ever ask or think, being separated unto you, being set aside for your special use. We want to be holy. Lord, we pray that you'd use these verses to that end by your spirit and by your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, as we've gone through this book, it's, we're getting closer and closer to the last chapters, and 
we, we kind of see some repeating themes over and over. I don't know if you've noticed that. I don't know if you've caught that or paid attention to re- some reoccurring themes. But we've seen some things repeated over and over again. And it, things are important when God says something once. But when he says something over and over and over and over again, it shows how important it is and it shows how we could potentially forget or lose sight of that truth or we could easily disobey that truth and we need to be reminded over and over again. We've been looking at wisdom in this book. Wisdom has been said, it's, it's, it's knowledge rightly applied. We can have information, but we don't know how to apply it that information in any given situation. It's also can be characterized as knowing what to do and not just knowing what to do, but how to actually carry it out in a practical way. We know oftentimes what to do. We know, we knew this, you know, growing up, we knew our conscience told us that certain things were right, certain things were wrong. And when we went against our conscience, we felt guilty. That's good. God wants us to feel guilt when we do things wrong. Animals aren't feeling guilt over things. We're not animals. We're created in God's image. And so animals don't feel guilty about doing things. We feel guilty because of our conscience. But then we had instruction from our parents and our culture and all of that. And then at some point, those of us that know Christ, we we understood the revelation of the gospel, that God revealed his truth about how we can be saved. And we trusted in that. We appropriated that truth. And he came inside of us and made us new creations. And ever since that time, we've been learning by his book, by his revelation, the Bible, and by him directly speaking to our hearts. And we have been given so much wisdom. You know, we walk and just in a, a casual knowledge as believers of so many things that the world's ignorant of. And we take it for granted all the time. We don't even think about it. I'm going through, I know how the world's going to end. I know where all this is leading. I know there's going to be a one world government. I know there's going to be a one world currency. I know there's going to be a one world religion. I know there's going to be an attack on Israel by Russia and Turkey and all these other countries, Iran. I, I know all these things are going to happen. I know it's leading somewhere all the time. And we forget how we just walk through life as believers, knowing so much that other people don't know. And sometimes we can take it for granted. But it's important for us to understand that he doesn't just give us information for the sake of having information. As much as he wants to have us be wise and all those things, he does it in part, and we'll see this as we get through some of these verses, that he does it for us to trust in him and he does it for us to be able to affect other people's lives. And so he wants us to be good managers or stewards of the revelation that he's given to us. And that is accomplished by us loving him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourself. That's the law of Christ. And so that's what he wants to do through our lives and in our lives. He wants us to become mature believers. Mature believers look a certain way, they talk a certain way. I don't mean look outwardly, you know. Um, but their, their lives are, there's characteristics that come forth. They look like Jesus. They have the character of Jesus. they They have the fruit of the Spirit coming out of their lives. They preach the gospel. They support the work of the ministry. They serve. They share their faith. They love people. They don't return evil for evil. They forgive. They show grace. There's so many things. But we can't know that if we don't know his word. But we can know it in in related to mental agreement 
but yet not actually put it into practice. And that's the danger that we each have. Especially as we know the Lord for a while and we, we can start thinking that God judges us or assesses our spiritual maturity by what we agree with and what we know instead of what we're obeying. And that's what James talks about when he says we could be hearers of the word, not doers of the word. So we need to be listening to teachings, we need to be reading our Bibles, we need to be having all that spiritual intake, measuring ourselves against, measuring our actions against those things that we're seeing in God's word and coming to a right determination related to what he says our lives need to improve with or prove on. So that's, that's what we've been seeing as we've been in this book. We've seen so much wisdom. And a couple weeks ago we saw that in chapter 22... He gave us kind of a kind of a prologue of 30 wise sayings that were going to be coming right after that. And I want us to look at that prologue back in chapter 22. So go back to 22, and I want us to just read a few verses here. Because he says these certain things in, in 17 through 21 to prepare us for these 30 wise sayings. Basically, 30 wise sayings within the context of Proverbs, which is it constitutes many, many wise sayings, but he's emphasizing these 30. And he says in chapter 22, verse 17, he says, Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge, for it is a pleasant thing if you keep them within you. <clears throat> Let them all be fixed upon your lips so that your trust may be in the Lord. I have instructed you today, even you. It's like he's anticipating us going, you talking to me? Like me? Yeah, you. I'm talking to you. Even you have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge that I may make you know the certainty of the words of truth, that you may answer words of truth to those who sin to you. I always talk about, you know, the greatest commandments is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what church is supposed to be about. Loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Loving your neighbor as yourself, serving, giving your life away, having your focus on others. That's what he talks about in this prologue here related to these 30 wise sayings that we're in the middle of. And he talks about the focus should be on God. Look at verse 19. So that your trust may be in the Lord. So it's focused on him. These wise sayings are so that we can further trust him in our relationship with him. Further trust him for things that only he can be trusted with. But then notice also at the end of verse 21, he says that I may make you know the certainty of the words of truth was just for me, just for my benefit, just so that I get blessed. No, he keeps going that you may answer the words of truth to those who send to you. See, again, others, God wants to pour into us all these things and have us value and treasure those things so that we can be safe people that pe- that God can send to us, send people to us to hear what we have to say. People sometimes say, you know, what do I have to say? I don't, I don't have anything wise. And you're right. <laughs> you know, I'm, you're right about that with me. There's nothing, I don't have any wisdom. But I know God's word, and I'm growing in knowing it more. And when I have God's words to say, Peter said, if any man speaks, let him speak the oracles of God. We have to be trustworthy people that know what his word says, that have actually lived his word, that are obeying his word, or are growing in his word, those are the people that God sends other people to. 
If you see, know someone in your life that you trust, that it's God, who's godly, who God has used in your life, value that person. And, and, and recognize that God wants us to be those people. Not just certain people in the body of Christ. Every one of us, God wants to use to make us uh, available for people to be sent to us. To be able to speak the truth to us. But if we don't value his wisdom, we don't obey his wisdom, all those things, then we're not people that he will send people to. Because we will have nothing to add in a substantial way in their lives. We don't have a testimony. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, Comfort those with the comfort with which you've been comforted. Meaning, you've been comforted by God. He's helped you through a situation. Now get your eyes off yourself and get your eyes onto others and comfort them with that same comfort, telling them that God has been faithful to you through the exact same situation or a similar situation. That's what God wants to do. So he says, value all these things. So he spends these verses, you know, five verses, preparing us for these 30 wise sayings. But he, he says something in our verses. Look at verse 12 in our chapter, chapter 23, that's very similar. He says, apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. Compare verse 12 to verse 17 in the previous chapter that we just read. Incline your ear the, the, uh, and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. That's verse 17 of the previous chapter. Verse 12 in our chapter says, apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. He's continuing that and he's saying value it because there's two things at, at play here. He talks about the heart, notice in the beginning of verse 12, apply your heart to instruction, but then just not just your heart, your ears to words of knowledge. So we have to be listening and perceiving spiritually truth. We can't weigh truth with other truth that we don't have the scriptures against which to, to test everything that we hear. So we have the spiritual capacity to receive as believers. We have the Holy Spirit in us. And he gives us the capacity to weigh things and to discern those things. The world can't receive the spirit, the things of the spirit, nor can they know them, for they are spiritually discerned. And so that's what he's talking about here. So it's not just, okay, I'm going to learn these things. I'm going to be a, this blessed Christian. And, you know, it's, it's about living the most abundant life I can live and all these things. He's like, no, you'll trust me more by these things. You'll be able to be a person that I can send people to, to hear the truth, that you'll have credibility with. Because you've lived these things out. That's what's at stake here. Spiritual influence is one of our greatest expressions that we get to enjoy of God's wealth that's, that he's given us. is spiritual influence. It's such a privilege to bless people and to help people in their most needy ways, really. Because our greatest need is spiritual. If we have the spiritual taken care of, everything else gets uh, dealt with appropriately and in context. So that's, that's the blessing. He wants to expand our spiritual influence as believers. And we have such small vision for ourselves. Oh, he could never use me there. He could never use me doing that. I could never see myself. And you know, you may not be called to that. You may not have gifts associated with that. But there are way more people that, lose, <laughs> that don't, aren't used in ways they could be used because they have, they don't, they're seeing how small they are compared to how big God is. How many times we see in the Old Testament, oh, I can't speak, Moses. Gideon, oh, I'm from the smallest of the tribes, and who am I? Like, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? You keep hearing these themes. Who am I? And God says, you're exactly who, who I know you are. You're the foolish things of this world, and I'm going to use you to confound the wise. 
Because when I use you, no one will be able to get the credit except me. So he says, beautiful, apply your heart to instruction, your ears to words of knowledge. We need to recognize that God wants us to remain teachable, humble, and recognize that we don't know everything. And one of the biggest dangers as we get older in the Lord is thinking that we can't learn from certain people or we can't learn about certain areas because we have experience in those things. And God says, no, you, you can keep learning. You're, we're going to keep learning all the way for eternity. We're going to be ex- just exploring the riches of his grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. So he's, he's going to reveal so much of who he is and, and we're going to keep growing for all eternity. Now he deals with corporal punishment in verses 13 and 14. Look with me there. It says, do not withhold timeouts from a child. For if you give him a timeout, he will not die. No, it doesn't say that. Now, there's a place for timeouts. So don't misunderstand. It's a place where someone needs to just sit and just, like, take a breath. Just relax. You're having a flesh flare up now. Um, you need to you just get your bearings and just sit there for a little. There's fine. But that's not to the neglect of what God says to do here, which is, the rod. And we looked at this a couple weeks ago. Remember back in chapter 22, again, we saw in verse 15, we were told this, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. And I, I read at that time the names of 42 countries that have spanking as illegal activity. 42 countries. You can go back and listen to the the teaching if you want to know those countries and hear me stumble through trying to pronounce some of them. Uh, It's pretty funny. But the point is, it's illegal in those countries, and I believe that it's going to be illegal here. At best, they're going to say, and they do say, that it's ineffective, and at worst, they're going to say that it's child abuse. But God in his word right here says that this is how we need to discipline our children. The enemy is going to do whatever he can to foster rebellion and and continue the breakdown of the family. And God says it's it's abuse if you don't do it. And we're going to see that in a minute. But before we get to, before we well let's look at verse 14 first. It says you shall um, beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. It's powerful. God says it affects their soul. Corporal punishment affects the effects of, and the implications of corporal punishment affects the soul, and it contributes to delivering their soul from hell. That's pretty heavy stuff. When our kids are little, and it's appropriate, if we refuse to spank our kids with a rod, we are sinning and working against God's blueprint, and we're taking chances with their souls. It's that serious. God says it as clear as day. It's not me saying it. You have a problem. You're you're having a problem with God's word. His word is saying it. Now, there's all kinds of ways to do it wrong and even abusive, which God is not for. We don't do it in wrath. We don't do it in anger. We don't do it as retribution. Um, We don't hit anyone in the face. We don't hit anyone with our hands. It's talking about a rod here. And we have to do it lovingly, appropriately. The punishment has to fit the crime. There's all kinds of things. So it's not just, it's, it's a very, has, it's very, there's a spectrum there of, of ways to do that and to do it well. But if we refuse to do it, um, we're sinning. 
And that's what, it, that's what his word says. We are sinning. And so it, and why is that such a big deal? It's a big deal because in our formative years, we need to feel in a very painful way, and God does that through our rear ends, um, a very painful way that there's a cost to rebellion. It's linked to rebellion. You don't, pun, you don't spank your child for foolishness and making, or a mistake or an accident. You punish, you spank them for rebellion. And God teaches us in our most formative years that there's bad things that happen for rebellion because God knows in real life that bad things happen as a result of rebellion. And the worst thing of all of spiritual rebellion leads to an eternal lake of fire that's very real that God's, Jesus talked more about than he did heaven. So there's a very real threat here, and I love the strength and the, the potency of God's word. So there's some reasons why we can be a little bit skittish towards it. We don't want them to be mad at us. You ever had that? I don't want to be mad at me. My kid, I don't want my kid mad at me. No, <laughs> that's, that's a very real thing that we can feel. We don't want to feel like we're forcing them to do certain behaviors well, that's our job as parents, to, have, to make it uncomfortable for them and train them to do and not do certain behaviors. We don't want to have a bad day. It's like we'd rather not deal with it. I got all these things going on. I don't want to have to deal with this too. And so I'll just pretend like I didn't see, you know, my son set the neighbor's house on fire. You know, maybe not that extreme or whatever. Um, there were some doozies in my childhood. And I wish I would have been spanked. I wasn't spanked. And you're like, we could tell. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, my, my, no amens now, but um, my mom did not spank me. I mean, I think one time she dragged me in my room of my hair because I called a girl in the neighborhood a name. Um, that was it. And I was out in a couple hours planning my retribution on that girl um, for telling on me. But, uh, and I wish, I wish I would have had that kind of discipline. Um, we don't want to take the time to do it correctly sometimes, you know, or we, oh, I'm just too tired to do it the right way. I know there's a right way and I don't have time and, we, you know, um, or we think that we will hurt them. And that's what God addresses in verse 13. He says, do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. He may act like he's dying. Yeah, and he may act like he's going to die, but he'll be just fine. There's thousands of years of parents doing this and people didn't weren't permanently harmed they weren't scarred for life or all those things if you do it unbiblically then yes they could be scarred and maybe you were beaten in ways that weren't biblical and you're but against that in that sense but yeah just don't do it the way that it hurt you know that's wrong do it the way that's right and and biblical and restore them and love them lots of hugs afterwards and all those things there's no credible evidence that Corporal punishment damage it, permanently damages kids whatsoever. So very important that he, he stresses the importance of that. And I believe in our culture, it's, we're going to get more. I wouldn't be surprised if a year from now, the state of California especially says it's illegal to spank your kids. And you're going to have to make a decision. You're going to obey God's word or you're going to obey the, the word of man. And I'm not going to stop teaching on it because I'm going to teach the Bible. So... Um, Again, a lot of what people fight against is the abusive uh, corporal punishment and not advocating for any of that. Now, he speaks to his son. Look at me in verse 15. It says, My son, if your heart is wise, 
My heart will rejoice indeed, I myself. Yes, my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak right things. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. For surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. So he speaks right to his son, and I just love this because... He's so tender and so um, vulnerable here with his just expressing his desire and his feelings and all of that. And he says, if your heart is wise, again, this is all in the context of this discipline. Don't disconnect verse 15 from verse 13 and 14. And, and because that wisdom comes in part by discipline. And he says correction there in verse 13. If you withhold correction, that's what it is. It's not retribution when you spank children. It's correction. You're correcting them. You're doing a course correction in their lives that they'll remember. And it's a marker that they'll remember. It'll shape their lives and it'll help them be more wise as they grow. And he's saying just how wonderful it is for a, for a father or, or a mother uh, when, when their children's heart are wise. He says, my heart will rejoice. Indeed, I myself. Yes, my inmost being. And that's literally in Hebrew. That's the kidney. You know, that's, he's literally saying the kidney, the innermost, my innermost parts, my innards. He used to talk about that, innards, um, when we're dissecting something or whatever. But he says, my innermost being will rejoice when your lips speak right things. Notice the connection between our mouth speaking at the end of verse 16, your lips speak right things, and the heart in verse 15. Because if our heart's wise and if our hearts are in the right place, then what will come out of our mouths will be commensurate with our hearts. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus told us that. So he's saying, just do the right thing. Do the right thing, son. If your heart is wise, my heart will will rejoice. And then he adds in verse 17, do not let your heart envy sinners. Now, why would he have to tell his son that? Because we could very easily envy sinners. Because we see what they have. We see all the things that seems like they're apparently prospering in ways that we're not or whatever. And he's like, Don't, do not let your heart do that. So it starts in the heart. Envy starts in the heart. And we start, no one could even know. You could go for weeks or months or even years envying sinners and, and no one would know. But it, that's the thing is that the Holy Spirit knows because he's, he's in us. And he reveals those things to us. Don't envy. Envy is not something that God wants for us at all. But he says, but rather, in the middle of 17, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. I love that because I love hearing, because sometimes we hear the word zealous as a negative thing. Oh, they're zealous. God loves the word zealous. God is zealous. He wants us zealous as well. But he says, be zealous for the fear or the awe, the reverence of the Lord, thinking how amazing and how great and how big he is and and how there's no one like him. Be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day, like throughout the whole day, not just for breakfast, during breakfast time, not just doing our devotions. He's saying, be zealous for the fear of the Lord for the entire day. And then he says their end in verse 18. For surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. In contrast to their hope, the the sinner that is separated from a relationship with God, they're going to be cut off. No matter how great their 
their life is, no matter how much they have in their 401k, no matter how successful they are, doesn't matter how powerful they are, if they don't know Christ, when they die, they're cut off from anything that's good, and they go to a lake of fire eventually. So he says, don't, don't envy them, because what's really important is where they end up. Not what they have right now, where, where they end up is important. And where you're going to end up is greater than where they're going to end up. So don't be, let your heart be sidetracked and, and hijacked uh, away from the things that we should be focusing on. And it's good to talk about that in a new year. You know, we're, we're in new, a new year, 2018. Did you think you'd live to 2018? I remember, let's see, what year was that? 83? Oh, boy. 1983. I was so small. I was, no, I'm just kidding. But 83, I remember telling my friend Richard, I said, let's meet back here. It was after our paper routes were done. Okay, so he had one side of the street and I had the other side of the street. And I, it was 83, and I said, let's meet back right at this place in the year 2000. And it seemed so far away. It seemed like it would just be like we'd be old men or something in the year 2000. And in 2000, we did. We went back to that spot, and we met, we talked about all that stuff, and now it's been 18 years after that, so it's, time is definitely going by, but um, it's so important for us to understand that we are going to live for eternity. We're going to live forever because of our relationship with the Lord, and, and we, are, we won't be cut off. We're going to live forever. The, the unrighteous are going to be cut off, and we're not. So he continues with his exhortation to his son in verse 19. He says, hear, my son, and be wise, and guide your heart in the way. So whose responsibility was it? His son. His son is responsible for guiding his own heart in the way. There's always been the way, not just in the new covenant. Jesus is the way. We were first, as believers, we were called the way. But he says, guide your heart in the way and be wise, do not mix with wine bibbers or with gluttonous eaters of meat. So those that are on the Atkins diet can't mix with them. Just kidding. Uh, that's, a, that's a fine diet. It's great. Um, but he says don't, don't even, he's not even talking about being a wine bibber. He's saying don't mix with wine bibbers. Those that are getting drunk, don't mix with them. Don't um, have them as a regular form of fellowship or whatever. I mean, it's Jesus hung out with sinners, obviously. We need to do that as well for the sake of reaching the lost. We need to be called a friend of sinners, just like Jesus was called a friend of sinners. So I'm not saying that you, you know, remove yourself from unbelievers, but as our main people that we're around, the people that are influence, uh, our influencers in our lives, we can't have drunkards, basically, People that have an ungodly desire to, you know, consume alcohol or other uh, drugs or whatever. We can't have them be our main um, relationships. But he also says gluttonous eaters of meat. And so not just it's not talking about the Atkins people. Um, <laughs> it's talking about because in that day, especially, you know, if you were wealthy, you would you know, meat was a luxury. It wasn't, you couldn't just have meat all the time. So he's, you know, again, he's been talking about these sinners that are, that are prosperous and all of that. Don't envy them. And, and those, and back in those days, when you'd have a, a, you know, one of those parties where they would just be eating and 
be gluttonous and all that. They would just stuff themselves. And I know that we've never done that before. We can't relate to that. It's only theory for us. But they would just stuff themselves till they would throw up many of them. And that's what they would talk about, he was talking about with being gluttonous. And, and it's just out of control behavior. That isn't what God's called us to. And he says in verse 21, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty. And drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. So a drunkards and gluttons, all of that, they live in excess. They're engaged in all these sinful things. And they are um, not living a life of sobriety. They, as a general pattern, come to poverty because they are out of control and they spend everything that they have on those things. And it's sad. It's an epidemic in our country and our world with opioids and all kinds of different drugs and all of those things. And so God wants us free. You know, Paul at one point said, I won't be the master of anything. Nothing's going to master me except the Lord. So God's called us to be free of any bondage, anything that has a grip on us. He's called us to be free of those things. And we can have all different kinds of addictions in this life that aren't even mentioned in Scripture. But we can have all kinds of addictions, and God doesn't want us to have addictions. He doesn't want us dependent on anything except him. And, and, and so he says it's going to lead to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. And then he says in verse 22, Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Now, what about if you come from a family where the father and the mother weren't godly, and they're not godly now? Now, obviously, you can't take unbiblical counsel, but, but you can show them respect. You can honor them and all of that, even if they don't know the Lord or they're not walking with the Lord. But this is presupposing that the father and mother told, already told the son about these things. So he just doesn't throw verse 22 in there out of nowhere. He's like, you've been hearing the same things I'm telling you right now. You've been hearing this. So listen to the father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. It's Verse 22, again, is not disconnected from all the surrounding verses. Verse 23. Buy the truth and do not sell it. In other words, acquire truth at all costs. Acquire truth. Don't give it away um, in the sense of not managing it well. Acquire truth. Get it at all costs. Also, wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Again, those are repeating things we've seen all through the book of Proverbs. To value wisdom. To treat it as more valuable than rubies and gold and all these precious metals and all these things, our bank accounts, are treat that as the most important thing. It's an continuous challenge for us to value those things. We have all this spiritual wealth at our fingertips, but yet our actions, our money, our time speak of our priorities, don't they? When you really think about, what do I spend my money on? What do I spend my time doing? What do I invest in? That tells us what's really important to us. And we think about this new year. That's where I was getting at with that story. It just takes me a while to come all the way back around to it. But when we think about this new year, we think about priorities. We think about, you know, where we want to be this year. What are our goals? All those things are great. But it has to start with our relationship with the Lord. That has to be the number one priority. Or else everything's going to get out of whack in our lives. And God's going to ultimately discipline us. Because he doesn't want us getting off track. And when your children, when they're young, start to get off track, you do things to help them get back on track. That's their expression of love to us. Well, God does the same thing. 
We start getting off track. He's going to do things to discipline us. Hebrews chapter 12 is very specific about if, if, if we weren't uh, children, legitimate children of his, then he wouldn't do that. But because he does that, it demonstrates that we are legitimate children of his. And, and we should be subjected to our, the father of our spirits and live, meaning live the abundant life that he's called us to. So he says we need to listen to those things. We need to have this year be a year where we're putting God first no matter what and, and putting the priorities in the right places. And, and you know what? I've found if you just get alone with the Lord and you ask, you know, what do you want me to change? He'll start giving you stuff. And he's like, well, wait, wait a minute here. You know, that's, that's enough. I'm, I'm good. You know, he'll just keep going. You know, and, and, and if we have a heart to really let him change us, he will. He'll take our current situation. He'll start giving us things to, to work on. He'll start revealing things in Scripture. He'll start speaking to us, and he loves to do it. He wants us to get more and more mature and more godly all the time so we can use us, again, to have our um, influence be expanded. So he says here, verse 24, The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her who bore you rejoice. My son, give me your heart, and let your eyes observe my ways. So you just think of the, the child that's doing the right things, how much joy it brings to the parent or the grandparent, and it reminds me of just thinking how God sees our lives when we do the right thing. When we do the things we're supposed to do, and we, when we're, we, we forgive, when we're gracious, when we bless orphans and widows, when we preach the gospel, when, when we love people, he is so blessed by that. He doesn't miss anything. He sees every bit of our obedience to him, and it blesses him. Never forget that. So he, he kind of likens it to that. But then he says in verse 26, My son, give me your heart, and let your eyes observe my ways. He's talking about a human son seeing him. And he says, observe, let your eyes observe my ways. That, that's speaking of being an example. Whether we're a father or a mother or a grandparent, it's talking about us being an example. And he wants us to have lives that people can look to and say, you know, I'm not where I need to be. I need to be more like how you are in those things. And that's what he wants us to use us in. He wants us to be an example for people like like." Um, he says here with, with his son, looking at him. You know, every, every husband, every father, every wife, every mother needs to be an example, godly example. When someone thinks of, well, you know, how should I handle this situation? How would my papa do it or my grandpa? Or how would my dad do it? How would my mom do it? They need to think back and go, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I know what they would do. Because I've seen it so many times on, in other situations. We need to be those type of people. So it's beautiful. And then he gives them more instruction in verse 27. For a harlot is a deep pit, and a seductress is a narrow well. She also lies in wait as for a victim, and increases the unfaithful among men. Wow. So he even gets to that. And we've seen this the first, how many chapters did we see that in the book of Proverbs? Talk about Beware of the adulteress. Beware of the, the seductress woman who waits, you know, and no one's going to escape and all of that. And, and he's saying to his son, son, watch out for this. Beware. Don't, don't fall into that trap. And, you know, and there are just 
chronic, chronic unfaithfulness expressed in our culture. Everyone's, it's, you're, if you can stay married for a certain amount of time and demonstrate faithfulness, you're considered, you know, someone that's beyond what anyone could ever think is possible. And that used to be the norm in our country. It was, the, it was something, it was an anomaly when someone couldn't be faithful to their spouse. So he's called all of us to be faithful. And this even goes into all the other traps, like pornography. It goes, I mean, all the other things that we can fall prey to those things and they can have a hold on us. And, and he's, look at he says, and increases the unfaithful among men. He calls us to be faithful with our eyes, with our hearts, everything. Now, we need to be quick to ask forgiveness and all those things when we fall short, of course, and he'll, he loves to forgive and all of those things, but we need to see the seriousness of these things and see the warning that he gives in his word because no one comes out unscathed. Verse 29, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? He answers it in verse 30. Those who linger long at the wine, those who go in search of mixed wine. Now that's a big subject. We've talked about it before, but it's, you know, just briefly, it's not sinful to ingest alcohol. Um, Jesus, Jesus turned water into wine. Now, it was a lot different wine back then in many ways. It wasn't as potent, but people still got drunk off that wine. Um, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, take a little wine with your stomach or for your stomach, their illness, you know, medicinal purposes. So it's, it's not. But what he hasn't called us to is to put ourselves in vulnerable positions. And he hasn't called us to, to walk in a way to where we're vulnerable to falling. So if, we have, if we've had a problem with alcohol in the past, we need to not drink. We don't want to at any possibility that we could fall into that trap. He's called us also to not stumble others. People come to conclusions about our faith and all these things. We don't want to stumble people who have weaknesses in those things. So we have to be careful of that. Or anything, use anything to escape the burdens of life or to deal with the problem. That's what he's for. He says, cast all your care upon me. Not the brewski, not the glass of wine, not the whatever it is. I don't care. Fill in the blank. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be food. We already talked about gluttons. So, so funny that people never want to talk about the sin of gluttony in the body of Christ. But it's a sin. Stuffing yourself is a sin. And, and, and so it's easy for us to point fingers on all these things and feel like we're better than other people. None of that's valid. What is valid is that God wants us to walk sober-minded. He wants us to have all of our faculties. He wants us to, to not be drunk with wine, we're told in Ephesians 5.18, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. He wants us always to be ready to be able to preach the gospel, to be effective in our spiritual um, capacity to be a blessing to other people. So it's important for us to recognize, he's saying, if, if it's sinful to be drunk. And most Christians agree with that. Some don't, unfortunately. But it's sinful to be drunk. But what I want to get to is how careful we need to be with everything in between. Because often we are influenced more than we realize or or faster than we realize. And recognize how we can stumble people and recognize how 
it, it just changes us in many ways. And where is that line? It's so much work to do all of that right and biblically and all of that. It's not even worth the aggravation, for me anyway. So it, it, for us to recognize, look, we can't escape to anything. I don't care what it is. We can't escape. We can't use things to cast our cares upon those things instead of God. We can't stumble others. He wants us to be sober-minded. I mean, if you're out drinking, how often are you sharing your faith? How often are you, you know, you, it quenches the spirit. It just, it just does. So we have to be very sensitive to that. And he gets into that um, in other verses here that we're going to look at. So he wants us to have that sobriety. And he, he gets into more specificity here in verse 31. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. And it's, I believe, talking about when it's the most enticing, when it's freshly poured and it's fresh or it's at its full strength or whatever. Maybe it's talking about this versus new wine that hadn't been fermented yet or hadn't been mixed with water. I, I don't know. But the point is, it can't be something that controls us and it can't be something that stumbles people and it can't be something that we go to instead of going to God if you take all those things out it leaves a very small sliver of time where it would be possible to, to have it be okay but this culture is getting worse and worse it's creeping into the church and it's it's just the standards are getting lower and lower the bible's not the standard other leaders are unfortunately well so and so I know he does and whatever that's not the point the point is what does scripture say and we have to filter everything that we do through the grid of Scripture. But he, but, he, but he warns us in verse 32. He says, At the last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. The effects of it, the, the, the DUI, or the hangover, or the I said things I shouldn't say, or the money that I spent. Remember, this is the Lord's money that we're spending for all this stuff. And it's not just the money that we give is the Lord's. It's all of our money is the Lord's. And, and we have to be good stewards of that money. And then he says the, the physiological effects, he says in verse 33, your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies at the top of the mass saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may see an, another drink? It's just hysteria, you know, hallucinations, craziness. That's the picture here. And we're so often willing to fight significant battles for our freedoms instead of fighting significant battles for our holiness and, and our influence and our capacity to not stumble others. That's what we should be zealous for. Like we just saw, we should be zealous for our walk with the Lord, for the fear of the Lord all the day, even in the evening on the weekends when, when everyone else is doing everything else that we are tempted to do. He's called us to fear the Lord all the day. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> you know, I just think of that our lives are are open for all to see. And I just think of how people are coming to conclusions about our Lord on our lives. And none of us are perfect. We're all going to fall short. And we do sin every day. The standard is perfection still. We fall short of that standard every day, myself included. But don't, and I'm talking to me too, don't allow our capacity to not be perfect 
give us a license to not even try to do the things that God's called us to do and to not do the things he's called us not to do. It's very important for us to see how important it is for us to be different in this life. We can't tell the world that there's a different kind of life if we live just like the world. It just won't happen. We won't have any credibility. If, we don't, if we're saying, hey, I want to teach you how to invest, and we don't have a portfolio that's impressive, it's hard for anyone else to listen to us because we won't have any credibility. So when we're saying God has these standards, he cares about sin, our behavior matters to him, even our thoughts and our motivations and all these things, but yet our lives look like their lives, how, how is that salt going to get its saltiness back, Jesus said. He's called us to be salt and light. It means he's called us to be different. And no one's trying to take away anyone's freedoms at all. But he's called us to be totally sober-minded, totally available at any moment to do what he's called us to do. At any moment, he may bring someone in front of us that needs to know Christ, whom he knows is going to go three blocks from us and get hit by a car and die. And if we're not on point and ready to preach that gospel and spiritually tuned in, we're going to miss out on such an important opportunity that he may lay in front of us. Any given moment, we have to be ready to minister. Any given moment, we have to be ready to speak the words of Scripture to people, to give them the right answer, to help them see their need, to help them understand how to receive Christ. And we can't do that if we're impaired by other things. We don't need any crutches like that. We have the Lord. We, he wants to give us the capacity to rise above and be more than conquerors in all these things. And I don't care how bad this culture gets, and I don't care how acceptable things are in this church world. This is the standard, and it's always going to be the standard. God doesn't change. Let every man be true, or let God be true, and let every man be a liar, as far as I'm concerned. Amen? Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the power of it. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for convicting us, encouraging us, exhorting us. We just thank you for how good you are. Help us to be more Christ-like every day. Thank you for the privilege of being in your truth. Thank you for opening our eyes spiritually. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to please you with our lives, that we would live lives worthy of the calling with which we've been called. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.